We ask a very special blessing on that and especially bless Duncan this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's reading comes from Mark 7, verses 1 to 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw that some of his disciples eating food with hands were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they have given their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evil come from inside and defile a person. Uh, Well, if you are just joining us today for the first time, we are in uh, a series through Mark's Gospel that's taking us all the way up to Easter. Mark's Gospel, one of the biographies of Jesus uh, with the account of his life uh, and his death and resurrection. Um, So uh, it's a really uh, great thing to do uh, for this whole term for us to really dwell on and settle on the life of Jesus, uh, what he came and did and said. Um, This chapter is a challenging one. 
uh, Mark chapter 7. Before we get to it, though, uh, there's a story about uh, the famous author G.K. Chesterton. As people are aware of G.K. Chesterton, he wrote lots of uh, novels and uh, lots of different things. Uh, as, a, as a story goes, uh, right at the beginning of the uh, 20th century, uh, he was responding to an article in a newspaper on the question, what is wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Now, how would you answer that question? Um, I, I, there are a couple of popular answers, I think, uh, that kind of just get repeated over and over again. Uh, a couple of popular answers. Those who are more moral and perhaps more religious will give, perhaps will tend to give the answer that what's wrong with the world is the morally bankrupt, irreligious people out there. On the other hand, the non-religious, secular people will tend, often give the answer, well, what's wrong with the world is the pious, judgmental, religious bigots out there. Religion poisons everything. So you have these two positions. They look completely different, but they're actually, it's actually the same dynamic going on, uh, the same approach. What's wrong with the world is out there, that group, that party, that tribe. And what's good is in here. Well, friends, how you answer that question will shape how you look, where you look to for a solution. Uh, if what's wrong is out there, then the solution is to turn in here. Um, you, I think we see this all the time. I think this is the gospel that is preached to us whenever we turn on the TV or the radio or watch a movie. The great solution of our culture is to turn inside, to believe in yourself, to listen to your heart, to do it your way, to make no apologies because you are beautiful just the way you are, so just trust the voice within because there's a hero, I don't know the end of that, if you look inside your heart. No Mariah Carey fans here, I see. <laughs> Okay, well, what was Chesterton's answer to this question? What's wrong with the world? He wrote this in answer uh, in a letter to the newspaper. The answer to the question, what is wrong, is or should be, I am. I am wrong. It's a very different answer to that question, isn't it? It's reflecting Jesus' teaching here in Mark chapter 7. And it was pretty offensive then. I think it's just as offensive today. Uh, but as we've seen over the last few weeks, Jesus is the king who has complete authority, uh, who has the right to teach you. Um, this is the word of the eternal Son of God to you. Uh, and at the same time, he is the king of grace. Uh, who works everything for the good of his people, who disciplines those he loves. He's the doctor who has come to heal those who know they're sick. And how you respond to, to his word today will be a reflection of the soil of your heart. Uh, whether it is hard, rocky, full of thorns, or whether it is good soil that hears and receives his word and lets it bear fruit in your life. So while this is going to be a hard teaching today, 
it will bear good fruits. And I, I hope that we'll see that it's not only true, but that accepting Jesus' teaching about you is, in a strange but perhaps unexpected way, the path to real freedom and a transformed life in God's kingdom. Okay, so diving into chapter 7 there. Uh, between, well, before we get there, between last week's passage and this one in chapter 7, uh, Jesus goes about continuing his mission. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God around the area of Galilee, which is sort of up in the northern area of Israel. Uh, he's doing mighty works that prove he is who he says he is, that show who he is. Um, we've already seen uh, along the way in these first few chapters, haven't we? We've, we've already seen this conflict brewing. Uh, we've seen it all along the way, especially with the religious leaders. Uh, but now in chapter 7, they come really back into sharp focus. And, and again, you notice there in uh, verse 1 of chapter 7, it's the, the, kind of, uh, the religious heavyweights. They've come up from Jerusalem, from the capital city. Um, and we, we already know that, Mark's already told us, that they're looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. They're, for a, they're looking for an opportunity to kill him. They're on the watch for some kind of chink in his armour, some opening that they can pounce on. And they think they have it. Verse 1. Uh, the, Phar- the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus. And they see that some of his disciples are eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, some of us might think, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, of course, uh, especially today, um, uh, obviously with the coronavirus on our minds, hand-washing is back on the agenda. There's an article I read just yesterday about teaching everyone how to properly wash your hands. So make sure you wash your hands properly, friends. Um, but for the Pharisees, for the Pharisees, uh, it wasn't at all about disease prevention, this focus on washing the, your hands. It wasn't about hygiene. Mark, it goes on to explain, verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the dr- tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles, so there's this system of kind of elaborate ceremonial washing that's going on before they're eating. Uh, it's a, tra- a tradition that had been in place probably for a few generations. It was a symbolic kind of washing, making themselves ceremonially clean before they would eat. You, do you notice there uh, in verse um, 4 uh, how it talks about when they go to the marketplace? Um, in a multicultural society, going to the marketplace meant they would have made lots of contact with non-Jewish people, with Gentiles, uh, who worshipped other gods and lived in ways that the Jews uh, of the time didn't want to come into contact with. Uh, the Jewish people were the people of the one true God. They were called to be holy, to be separate from the nations. Uh, and Jewish houses at the time often had these big um, stone jars full of water for this purpose. Uh, you, you might remember the story in John chapter 2 of Jesus turning the water into wine. Um, uh, it's a, a good sort of guess that that's what they're there for. That, that's, uh, that's what those um, water jars are there for. Uh, they would wash themselves and purify themselves, not just their own hands, but we're told even their crockery. 
Uh, and they were doing it to what to sort of symbolically, ceremonially clean themselves from contact with uh, uncleanness out there um, before they would eat. The thing is that this kind of washing, it wasn't given to them by God. It wasn't in the Old Testament law. Uh, it, the Old Testament does talk about a kind of washing like this for the priests in the temple. Uh, but along the way, this had been expanded to include everyone. So not just the priests in the temple, but all of, all of God's people, all the Jewish people. Uh, it's kind of like um, building a fence around God's law to make sure we don't go anywhere near breaking it. We'll sort of expand the edges out to include everyone. And this tradition was held up very high. They notice Jesus' disciples aren't washing before they eat and uh, they aren't cleansing themselves from this defilement, from uncleanness out there. And verse 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked, asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Well... So the stage is set, there's this kind of conflict. It's been bubbling away all, all along, and Jesus has given some really um, interest, interesting and sort of uh, some answers that are a little bit subversive and along the way. But you notice here, for the first time, he really publicly um, kind of lays into the religious leaders at this point. He sees, he doesn't hold back, he sees the state of their hearts he knows that they're not really worried about pleasing God in this case. Uh, and he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who had written about 700 years earlier, that basically the same sorts of things were going on. Uh, uh, Jesus replies in verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Um, the word hypocrites there, the original word was the, the word for an actor. Uh, to wear a mask, which they would often literally do, uh, to wear a mask, to pretend to be one thing when you're really another. Uh, all their efforts to be clean were just an outward act. They were a, a kind of mask that uh, they'd put on. And Jesus quotes Isaiah, as it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Isaiah had faced the same thing in his day. Leaders of Israel who were just acting. They, were just, uh, they had a mask on. They weren't really devoted to God. They looked impressive and pious. But and what a, I mean, it's a pretty hard-hitting assessment, isn't it? In verse 7, they worship me in vain. In vain means completely useless. They're going through the motions it doesn't have any benefit at all, Com completely in vain. Uh, the problem with these Pharisees that Jesus was talking to was not that they wanted to be clean. They wanted to be clean before God. The Old Testament was clear that to be in relationship with God, the one true, holy, pure, righteous God, you needed to be clean. The problem wasn't that they wanted to be clean before God. It was that they had they'd become so focused on these outward rituals that they didn't care at all about the heart. They were actors playing a role. They were hypocrites. 
And Jesus goes on to highlight their hypocrisy in the next little section there. Uh, they pay more attention to these extra man-made traditions than they do to actually the clear word of God that had already been given. Um, there was this other tradition at the time, this uh, Korban tradition, uh, where you could take something that you owned and you could say it was devoted to God, which would release you from your ob obligations to help your parents, like to, if it was something that could be useful to them. God had obviously um, made it clear that it was, um, uh, it was God's people's obligation and duty to care for their parents, but that this was kind of a, a way to get around it, a bit of a loophole, and that they were using this tradition to get, get away from clearly obeying God's, God's revealed word. I'm a bit unsure how it worked, but what's clear here is that this was a tradition, a human rule, that they held at the same level as God's clearly revealed word, as the scriptures. And in their hardness of heart, they used it to justify disobeying God. And Jesus' verdict is clear, verse 13. Thus you nullify, you bring to nothing, you show that it has no real place in your life. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have, hand, that you have handed down, not that God has given to you. And this isn't just a one-off thing. Notice he says, and you do many things like that. So that you get the picture. There's, there's many, many of these uh, man-made traditions that they're using that, that just don't address the heart. They're, they're, not, they're, they're using to actually escape God's word. So it, Jesus really focuses in on their hypocrisy. But he wants to push things even further. Uh, he wants to highlight their hypocrisy, but he, he wants to keep going right to the, the central issue of what's going on. Uh, the, uh, on one level, their issue was that they'd elevated this tradition really above God's word. Often what happens when you put a, a tradition alongside God's word. Um, but there's more going on. That hypocrisy was really just an expression of what was going on in their hearts, inside them. And Jesus wants to get to the heart. Uh, the, these Pharisees and teachers of the law were focused on this outward man-made ritual washing that would keep them, they thought, clean from the spiritual uncleanness out there. But Jesus knows out there is not really where real defilement comes from. Uh, the crowd's probably been on the fringes. You can imagine Jesus sort of interacting with these leaders. Maybe there's been a crowd sort of on the fringes around. But at this point, uh, Jesus calls them in. He's, he's sort of finished with the Pharisees, and now he's focused uh, on the crowd. He talks to them in verse, seven, in verse 14. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's this huge shift. It's like a paradigm shift, a huge uh, shift in their thinking. Want to know what's really wrong with the world, where uncleanness really comes from? It's not out there threatening to get in. It's already in. And it flows out 
from us. And Jesus says, stop focusing on avoiding uncleanness out there. You've got plenty of it inside you already. Well, as he often does in verse, seven, in verse 17, Jesus sort of narrows the group down even further to just his disciples to really um, show them what's going on in verse uh, uh, to, they ask him about what's been said, and then verse 18 he says, Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? Um, it's just sort of basic biology, right? It goes in, doesn't go into their hearts, the centre of their being, uh, uh, their, their spiritual centre. It just goes in their stomach and then out of the body. That's all that happens with food. And in saying this, Mark puts in, the author, and in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Um, it turns out that what Jesus is saying has a number of different kind of layers to it. It is about sin and this defilement of the heart. Uh, but he's also making a claim about who he is and about the kingdom that he has come to bring in. It's a, it's a little complicated. Uh, although the, so the Old Testament law did talk about things outside that would defile you. Uh, if you touched or did or ate certain things, you'd be defiled, you'd be richly unclean, and you'd have to become richly cleansed. Um, in the, but in the background of this sort of interaction is what we've already seen throughout Mark's gospel. Um, Jesus has come and he has proclaimed this message that in him the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, the fulfillment of all God's promises, the completion of the, the, the old covenant and the beginning of a new covenant, a new people of God that are gathered around him by faith in him. And this new covenant... It was what the old covenant was always pointing towards. Which means that now Jesus has come, that first covenant is now fulfilled. It's been brought to its right and proper end. Those rituals of the Old Testament law were pointing to this moment. And what's more, they were never meant to make God's people proud and self-centered and looking down at the uncleanness out there. They were signs pointing Israel to their own sin, their own need that they had to be clean before a holy God. They were constant reminders of their own uncleanness that they couldn't get rid of by themselves. They needed God to do for them. And now Jesus has come... This is sort of all in the background of the, the huge claim that Jesus is making here. Now Jesus has come to deal once and for all with the real, deep, lasting issue that the, the, those Old Testament rituals were always pointing to. He is the ultimate sacrificial lamb who brings the ultimate cleansing from sin. And that's what Mark's, that little, I've gone on a little bit about that, but that's the, that sort of comment from Mark in the parentheses. Uh, what, that's what that's getting at. Here's a little side note. Uh, he comments that because of all of that, because this new phase in God's unfolding plan, now all foods are clean. There's nothing you can eat 
that will make you defiled before God. And now Jesus gets right down to the heart. He gets what, to the heart of what he wants to teach his disciples. He gets to the heart of what he wants to teach you today. So let's listen carefully to these last few verses. He goes on from verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and they defile a person. Uh, this, this is how Jesus viewed the human heart. Apart from the grace of God, it's not a very pretty picture. That's what some, uh, you might have heard the phrase, some theologians use total depravity. That, that, that idea is not saying that you are as bad as you could be. It's saying that every part of you is impacted and affected and influenced by this, this sin, this uncleanness, this rebellion against God and this pride and selfishness. And that's not something that can be fixed by enforcing a set of rituals and outward rules, a set of traditions. It won't be fixed by more or better education. It won't be cleaned by elaborate religious rituals. So you, Jesus is saying, your heart is like a deep well. A lot of the time the water tastes okay, but stir the waters a bit, and you can see that there's this thick sludge at the bottom of the well. And it doesn't take too much to bring it to the surface. Uh, you know those moments when you're caught out by something that you do? That sudden swell of anger? That thrill when you sit, share some juicy gossip? That lingering lustful look? That lie that comes just a little bit too easily? Uh, how do you respond in that moment? Often, uh, we say this to ourselves, I think, don't we? We say, where did that come from? <laughs> Uh, it's so out of character. It's not like me at all. And we might feel, we sort of feel bad about it, and perhaps not really because of what we did, but because of how it makes us look. It makes us look much worse than we really are. Now, Jesus says, don't fool yourself. It's not out of character, actually. It's exactly like you. It didn't come from anywhere outside of you. It wasn't some magic evil force that happened to just zap you at that moment. It wasn't even, and I want to say this gently, uh, I'm aware of the difficult circumstances so many of us are in. It wasn't even the excusable result of your difficult circumstances. As hard as they might be. This is how we can often um, sort of respond in, that, in those moments. Well, my I know I got angry, but it's, it look at how they treated me. <laughs> it's justified. Uh, my porn addiction isn't really that bad. It's just what I need to help me deal with the stress of life. 
My flirting with someone who's not my spouse is okay, really. My spouse isn't giving me what I need. That malice or envy or unforgiveness in my heart towards my whoever, my parent, child, spouse, friend, fellow church member. It's completely understandable if you knew what they'd done. You see what Jesus says here? He doesn't actually leave us that wriggle room. As much as there is to say about circumstances, and there is important things to say about that, having said that, your evil thoughts, whatever they might be, are not momentary, excusable lapses in an otherwise good person. They are the murky depths of your heart, bubbling up and flowing out of you. See what, how Jesus just flips this over? According to Jesus, it's not evil out there, good in here. It's evil in here, coming out. <laughs> Well, we're at the end of the passage, but there's more to say, friends. We need to say more. Um, uh, this issue of uncleanness out there, it kept on cropping up throughout the early church, and you see it in the New Testament quite a bit. Uh, it seems that it was very hard to shake, especially for those who were uh, Jewish followers of Jesus, it was uh, difficult to adjust to this new covenant, this new situation where people from all nations could be brought into God's family, his kingdom, through faith in Jesus alone. Um, the, Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul deals with it a, a number of times in his letters, and you see it in the book of Acts as well. Uh, it's so important that he, he, en he ends up confronting the Apostle Peter about it. If you remember, last year we looked at the book of Galatians, you might remember there um, uh, the, the confrontation that Paul describes between him and Peter. Um, he confronts Peter about it because Peter had stopped eating with Gentile Christians. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about food sacrificed to idols and how that all sort of um, pans out. Uh, but there's a passage in Romans 14 that I want to just finish with. Um, there was this dispute over what they could eat. Uh, Paul says, uh, uh, Paul goes on to say, it's, it's not a central issue. It's something that they can sort of go with, you can go with your conscience on. But he, he does say that he's convinced that uh, nothing is unclean in and of itself. So he's very happy just to um, go down and grab whatever you want from the shops and whack it on the barbie and enjoy. The reason, he says in verse 17 is that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of outward things, of man-made traditions and rituals, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the question I want us to just sort of wrestle with a little bit at the end here is, how can Paul say that? How can Paul say that? How do you get from Jesus' sobering teaching in Mark 7 to Paul saying this in Romans 14? 
righteousness, joy and peace. That may not be how you're feeling at the end of Mark 7. Well, according to Jesus, there is no hero when you look inside your heart. Sorry, Mariah. Sorry, I don't want to pick on anyone, but uh, you know what I mean. there's There's no hero when you look inside your heart, but there is a hero. You cannot clean yourself, but there is one who can clean you. Jesus is a good doctor. Remember back in chapter 2, if you were here when we looked at that? He's the good doctor. He doesn't want to give you a false diagnosis about your, your heart. He loves you too much to just leave you and kind of put a band-aid solution over what is really a deep, all-pervasive cancer within you. He is exposing your real issue, and he's doing that not just... He's not doing that to, to leave it out in the open for all to see so that you can go forward in shame and guilt. That's not what Jesus is doing. He is doing the painful work of cutting you open so that he can heal you, so that he can give you a new heart. He can give you his cleanness, his righteousness, his perfect relationship with his Father. The answer to how Paul can say this in Romans and Jesus can say this here in Mark, the answer is the cross, where Mark's gospel is all driving towards, where this pure one, the only one who had a clean well, this pure one made himself dirty for you. The undefiled one took on your defilement on himself. If you come to him in faith, his blood cleanses you once and for all, no matter how murky your depths are. In Christ, God sees you as completely clean. The moment you come to him in faith, the moment you repent of your unclean in heart and put your trust in him, at that moment he removes another image in the Bible. He removes your filthy rags and gives you his righteous robe. And not only that, he is at work within you by his powerful spirit to gradually, surely, slowly, but surely change you from the inside out so that what is completely true in Jesus becomes more and more true in your own experience so that his gift of righteousness gives you a growing distaste for your own sin, gives you a growing determination to put it to death, to cut it out of your life, to live following your good king who died for you. And so, friends, do you see how accepting Jesus' teaching here in the light of the gospel, it, it it should lead you to righteousness, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because it means that you can stop pretending. You can stop wearing a mask. You can stop being a hypocrite. You can come to Jesus with your heart really laid bare because you know that you can trust him to deal with it 
not with judgment, but with his transforming grace. There's a story about a pastor and missionary called Jack Miller. Uh, people would come up to him and talk to him about what sins they were, they were struggling with. And uh, he'd sort of turn to them with a bit of a twinkle in his eye and say, well, cheer up, you must, you're much worse than you think you are. I've never had the guts to say that to anyone, but uh, you see what he's getting at there. He, he knew that people are often focused on the outward actions without looking at the heart underneath. We focus on externals and it makes us unhappy legalists or just crushed in despair at our own failure to fi fix ourselves up. But this guy, Miller, he knew that it's actually through this process of having our hearts revealed to us in everything that they are and confessing the depths of our sin and turning to Jesus that we actually find the path to righteousness and joy and peace. The more fully you see the problem, the more fully you will see and rejoice in and be transformed by the wonderful gift of God's grace in the gospel. Sick people run to a doctor. Unclean people run to Jesus. That's what we're going to do in a moment as we share in the Lord's Supper. Uh, this, it's, this is not a, a ritual that we mindlessly go through. We've had enough kind of warning about that today, haven't we? It's not magical. The act of eating, it just goes in and out. Okay? It, it's not going to cleanse you. But if you eat it in faith, it will point you to the only place where true cleansing and righteousness and peace and joy are to be found. And that is freely offered to all. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Our God, um, we've had some pretty difficult heart surgery this morning at our, our hearts exposed by our Lord Jesus himself, by his teaching. Make us good soil, we pray. Um, keep us from the kind of proud arrogance that rejects this. Uh, Lord, we, we know that we can, we can receive this teaching we know that we can receive it because we know the character of the one who gives it. We know our Lord, Lord Jesus, not only his character, but what he has done for us at the cross to cleanse our hearts. So make us humble before you, please. Um, we pray that where we need to repent, we will. Uh, we pray that where we need to um, uh, restore, we will. If perhaps there are relationships or... Uh, areas of our life that we know that we need to fix up by your grace and in your strength. Give us the grace to do that. Help us today, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together and as we reflect on your word to us. Help us all, we pray. Uh, help us to not only deeply, humbly, openly confess our sin to you, but to deeply and joyfully and thankfully turn to Jesus and the life and forgiveness and clean, uh, cleansing that he freely pours out on us through the gospel. Uh, we pray that you might do that within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.